0: Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, Being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Now, if you don't catch the, the, these nine verses that I've just read to you, you're not going to be ready for the, really the verse I'm going to preach today, which is the next verse. But you have to get these first nine. If you don't understand this reality of what you were and now who you are, and the fact that it's by grace, through faith, you, you, you're not going to hear these words right, and you'll twist them into something else. So with all of the dependency upon the Lord that we can get, I want to read these verses now, this verse now. For we, in fact, would you read it with me? Just read it for me off the screen. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God help, in Jesus' name, amen. Give someone a high five, have a seat. I want to help you live in your divine design. I, I deeply desire, to, in, before we're done, I'm going to give you specific questions that I would challenge you to answer if you've ever tried to figure out why on earth am I here? Like, what has God wired me to do? I want to help you with that today. So I was watching YouTube, and I'm not sure if anyone has seen this. You know, one of my favorite basketball players is Steph Curry. Of course, everyone loves Steph, but uh, Steph Curry was at, like, a carnival. I'm not sure. Did anybody see this? Steph Curry was at a carnival. Have you ever been to a carnival, and they shoot, and and they've got, like, you can take a basketball, and you can shoot a basket, okay? And they do the basket shooting, and if you get enough of them, you win some prizes. Well, Steph Curry is the greatest shooter and the history of mankind. Like when Steph is playing, the angels in heaven are recording the videos, right? So Steph is very, very talented. Steph is the greatest shooter of all time. Steph is at the carnival taking shots in this basket, and he is hitting clankers constantly. Like Steph, Curry, he made some, but he's constantly missing these shots. And so if you're watching the YouTube clip, when I finished watching it, I turned that thing off and I'm like, I am never doing the carnival hoops again. Because if Steph Curry cannot get that ball to fit into that rim, there's no way I'm going to get that ball to fit in. In other words, what we found out was kind of what we knew all along. That game has been rigged from the start. That's what we know. It's like we don't have a chance. The thing's rigged. It doesn't fit. The ball doesn't fit. And then I started thinking about us. And I talk to a lot of you all the time, and I, I speak to many of us that are trying so hard to find where we fit in this world and figure out how we were made to be, and, and I'm watching us live lives where we're, we're trying so hard to do what we think we're supposed to do, and yet consistently watching people like, I, I can't seem to find, I can't seem to do, I can't seem to become, I'm, I'm not quite fulfilled. I'm, I, I, what's, and, and it's almost like the game has been rigged, like, like we've been trying to fit Balls and rims that they were never meant to go, trying to fit our lives into lifestyles, to fit our souls into lives we were never made to live. What is made to fly is never going to do well on the ground. What is made to swim is never going to do good on land. And you are never going to do well until you're doing what God made you to do. You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand. What if I told you that God wants you to know what you're called to do? What if I were to tell you you are not too young to start figuring this out, and what if I told you you're not too old to figure it out either? What if I were to tell you that this is a lifelong journey that God invites you in at any time, and if you feel like it's too late, God knows how to do overtime and double time. And if you feel like it's too early, God knows how to redeem the time so that you can get compound interest on the labors that you put in right now. What I'm telling you is I want you to live in your divine design. I'm gonna give you a list of questions. Before we're done, I'm gonna put a, not yet, I'm gonna put a QR code up there, and I'm gonna invite you just, I'm gonna, if I was sitting down and eating wings with you guys, picking chicken out of our teeth, sitting across a table, and you said, man, I'm trying to figure out my life. I'm going to give you the questions I would literally be writing on a napkin to share with you. That's what I'm going to do before we're done. Right now, though, I want to get you ready theologically to say, wait a minute, God, you've made me for a reason. Here's what I need you to know today. When we discern who we are, instead of being distracted by who we're not, we live with a focus that brings incredible fruit. When we live... Discerning, when we, when we discern who we are, we are God's workmanship. You were created. You are God's handiwork, created in a special, specific way. We are those that when we discern who we are instead of being distracted by who we're not. Man, I wish I was like him. Get, you don't, you're not going to be judged competing with him. You're going to be judged competing with you. One day God is not going to ask you, why weren't you more like Moses? Why weren't you Moses or Elijah? He's going to say, why weren't you you? We need you. We need you, the real you, the great you, the, the unique you that displays the glory of God in ways that no other human ever has. The you that fits into specific baskets that no other ball fits in. The, we don't need you shooting Steph shots. We need you shooting your shots. That's what we want you to, and, and, and by the way, I just wanna be super clear. I am absolutely, I struggle with this. So- it is so difficult to look in the mirror about who God's really made us to be because something in all of us wonders if we're not as great as we wished we were. And I'm here to let you know that this scripture is some of the best news you've ever heard because if you ever have looked in the mirror and felt less than, be quite assured whatever image you saw was distorted by something going on in your mind. And today I want some vision correction to take place by the power of the Holy Spirit Jesus to do it. When we discern who we are instead of being distracted by him, her, them, by who we're not, we live with a focus that brings incredible fruit. I was reading a book and it was Warren Buffett, one of the great, you know, minds of the last 50 years or so. He ha- he had a pilot and his pilot was a little frustrated at the stage of life that he was in, and the pilot went to Warren Buffett and said, "Hey, uh, I just haven't accomplished what I was hoping to accomplish. You know, do you have any sug- do you have any advice for me?" He said, totally got advice for you. He said, well, what's your advice? He said, go make a list, write down the top 25 goals, write down 25 things you want to accomplish before you die, Write The 25 top goals. Number, I got three steps. Number one, write down your 25 top goals. He's like, all right. He said, what's step two? Step two, circle your top five goals. He said, okay, what's step three? He said, step three is eliminate the other 20. You now have two lists. If you can go accomplish five great goals before you're done... That is going to be a focus that's going to help you. But if you don't knock out the other 20, what's going to happen is you will squander your life being distracted by easy goals instead of significant goals, and you will not live a life of focus on what you were actually called to do, and you'll forever be distracted by what all the other people and pilots are doing, and you'll try to be like them or act like them when God has made you to take your shot, Steph Curry. Are you going into an NBA that's dominated by big men, and you're a little guy that no one even thinks can do much, and then Steph Curry changes the game by changing and by playing In a brand new way, that the kids everywhere, all the short kids everywhere love it. I go to Gainesville Health and Fitness, and every single day I see kids practicing half court shots. No one did that 20 years ago. Now, everywhere everywhere you go, you got like like eight year olds trying to do half court shots. Lord have mercy. (laughs) Take your shot, Steph. So, what I want to do is I I just want to walk through this passage in, in verse 10. I just want to walk through this passage to say that when you discern who you are, instead of being distracted by who you're not, you'll be able to focus. So so let's walk it through. It starts like this. For we are God's. We are his. we, We are God's workmanship. So let's just take those words. We are. For we are. You are a human being way before your human doing. Someone finish this. You were made in the image of? Okay, when God was asked, what is your name? Anybody remember what when Moses said, God, what's your name? Who are you? Do you remember what God said to him? He said, what? He said, I am who I am. You are made in the image of the guy who says, I am who I am. Technically, you need to be saying, I am who I am, and I'm not who I'm not. This is who I am. I take my shot. That did not mean to rhyme. I did not at all mean for that to rhyme. I just feel really, really cheese ball right now, right? No, I am, like... Who are I am. I am who I am. I am who God made me. to. You are made in the image of the I am, not the I do. And he does do. Oh, to be sure. God does marvelous things. You do all things well, God. Amen. You do all things well. But his doing comes out and flows from his being. This is who he is. That is who you are. I am the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. That, that is... So we are so tempted to live outside-in lives instead of inside-out lives. We are so tempted to live lives bullied upon us by the forces around us rather than listening to the gentle, quiet voice of the God within us. And what God wants is for us to live lives from the inside-out where, where we, we realize, God, you made me to be a certain way. Even when I've, like with my kids right now, it's like I'm trying to take note of my kids because I already know what's going to happen I, because it's happened to me. It's I'm still trying to recover from a world that is not trying to get you to figure out who you are. It's a world that's trying to impose its whatever's on you. And listen, guys, I get it, man. There's In, in a world of so much virtue signaling and value signaling, and, and even in the church, there's this, this feeling of like, I need to look like I care. I need to look like I've got all the right values. Here's My question is not, what does the world expect of you? My question is, who did God make you to be? Who did he make you to be? Prophets and and priests and teachers and mothers and fathers and extroverts and introverts. Who did God make you to To be parents and peers and culture are going to put expectations on you to perform and measure up. You will be surrounded by people everywhere you go that are not committed to helping you figure out and discern. Who you are, they're committed to getting you to do what they want you to do. People do it to me all the time. They'll say, Pastor Mike, here's what I need you to do. I need you to say this from the pulpit. I mean, I want people all the time, I want you to say this, and I want you to say, you better use your platform to say this and, and to say that. Number one, I mean, obviously, I hope you want your pastor saying what God wants me to say, right? I mean, hopefully that's what I'm going to do, you know, but there's, there's always the pressure from all around us to live up to all these other expectations, which really makes us quite emotionally and philosophically and psychologically schizophrenic because you have one friend group that wants this and another friend group that wants that, and parents that expected this, and a mom, then your parents get divorced, and one expects this. And man, it's it is exhausting for people. I watch people. 49 years old trying to figure out who in the world they are because they have lived so many other people's lives. They have taken so many other people's shots and it never seems to make it in the basket and they're wondering what's going on. I'm telling you, the game was rigged. You're only meant to live your life. For we are. There was a rabbi that said in the coming world, they will not ask you, why weren't you Moses? They will ask you, why weren't you you? The deepest question is not simply, what ought I to do with my life? The deepest question is, who am I? What is my nature? Because everything in life has, has a nature to it. And I'm not talking like human nature, fallen nature, sinful nature, Adamic nature like before. I'm not talking that. I'm saying when builders create workmanship, when they, when they build bridges, for example... They build it with raw material that have nature. A bridge is going to be built with iron or brick or concrete or stone or wood or whatever it is. And everything has a nature, which means it has both potentials and limits. And in a world that basically thinks there's something virtuous about telling everybody you can do anything, the reality is you really can't do anything. No one here is going to jump from here to the moon without the assistance of NASA, right? That's not happening. There, you, at, in your nature, you have potentials, and you have limits, and wise is the woman, and wise is the man that realizes, wait, God, the catch is not me just figuring out what do I want to do to measure up to somebody else. The real trick is figuring out who am I? Who am I? For we are, then it says we are his. We are God's. Everyone say, we. I am God's. I was reading this week the, I was rereading the, the book by martin luther king jr 's father it's just called daddy king and I, I I love him because I love to hear he, he has a vo- there 's a voice to him in his biography where he tells the story of of his life the the man that that really was a civil rights leader before the greatest civil rights leader that we know of. And, and he was this great, he was, he was already walking the walk. He was doing these things, and he was the author. And there would be people that would come, and they would take his words, and they would try to twist them, and he would say, no, 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 those aren't your words, those are my words. I am the author, don't twist me. And he would stand up, and he would let them, no, no, you don't, don't, twist, don't twist my words. I am the author, I'm, I'm the one that wrote these words. Well, the word authority has in it the word author. They have the same root. The idea of an author is the author is the one whose fingerprints are all over this. Friends, I know this is a very hard thing for people like us to accept, but here's the reality you are not the author of your life, God is. In fact, it's way better than you being the author. Like, you do not, and and I get it, man, and and, and, oh, I'm going to even mention the word predestination in a minute, and everyone's like, oh, we wish that was not in the Bible, and it's in the Bible. This is a word that's in the Bible, and it it has this, this reference to the authority of the one that is the author of your life, and you will forever be frustrated when you mistake who the author is and who it's not. And trust me, the greatest news you can have is that the author of your life is God. So the question is not, what should I do to impress the world around me? The question is, what has the great poet-writer, what has the great workman himself built, created, when he made me? We are God's. We are God's workmanship. This next word is workmanship. It's it, it's an interesting word when we, we, we know what it works like because whenever, I don't know if you've ever, who's ever been to New York City? Anybody, anyone love Manhattan? Like I love Manhattan. You ever been to New York City and people sell stuff all over? You know, so it was really cool one time. I went to New York City. My wife was not with me and, and, they, and they had purses for sale, you know, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. My wife would love, and it was like a $800 purse that was like $12. I was like, what a deal. <laughs> I was so excited to spoil my wife. I was like, this is awesome. She will never know the difference, you know, and, and I don't know what happened, but, but between taking it out of my luggage and giving it to her, it fell apart, I think, and I was so surprised. I did not understand. I thought I would get way more than that out of it, you know, and, and in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, what horrible workmanship. Workmanship. Like, there's no workmanship to that. Like, like, this is shoddy workmanship. It, it's an interesting word. Many of you would know this, but the, the, the Greek word, the language of the New Testament that this is, it, it's, where poema, it's it's word poema. It's where we'd get the word poem. Poema. It's this idea that we are God's, we're like God's poetry. Like this, this great artist is trying to write, Poetry. What I was—I'm reading through the Book of Jeremiah right now, and when I was in Jeremiah eighteen two, and he says, "Go down to the potter's house, and there I, you will hear my words." And I was thinking about pottery because I'm not sure if you've ever looked into this much, but I, I was okay. i kind of stuck there for this past week, and I was thinking about pottery. We are God's workmanship. We're like God's pottery. Pottery was an interesting invention because it actually was a revolutionary invention. Pottery literally changed the world because before pottery, humans had to kind of settle where they were, and they had to do whatever they did right where they were. Pottery changed it where people could now take something, store it, walk somewhere. They could travel for a couple of days. Pottery was interesting like that because it had this function of making people much more mobile and be able to do a lot of other things. So pottery had a a lot of upside. You could have small pots, big pots. They could have all kinds of pots. But the interesting thing about pottery, not just in one place, but all over the world, is that everywhere you look, it's weird. Pottery would not just be functional. They would start to make it out of clay, obviously. And they would start to fashion it into all sorts of shapes. And then they would go and they would paint it and they would put all kinds of designs on it. And it's fascinating because everywhere you look, all over the world, throughout all of human history, the archaeological excavations (laughs) conclude there's something weird about humans, there's something about us and our nature, let's just say it, that even when we make something that's highly functional, we almost can't help but have a simultaneous functionality and a beauty. And the way that God made you is that you have both a beauty and a function. That there's, there's a part of you that if you did nothing, like if you've ever seen a little child laugh, the kid has done nothing except keep you up at night and make diaper art. That's all the child's done. <laughs> and yet you look at this child and you're like, oh, you, you are so good. Like, have you ever looked, you ever just looked at like, I could watch my child for hours, It's like when, you, when someone goes and they look at the Mona Lisa, they go to one of these, you know, they go to a, a museum and they just sit there in front of a painting and, they're, and, and I get it, many of us don't, don't get that but if you've ever looked at, at beautiful art or poetry and just and just sat there on and just beheld its glory and its beauty that is what the bible is describing about you it says do you see the potter he says go down to the every in ancient days everyone knew everyone was dependent on the potter go down to the potter's house this is where everyone would have to go hang out because you depended on the pottery but the pot, they knew not only did you need drinks and ways to store things something in us longs to express a beauty that reveals the nature of the one in whom we were made you are his workmanship. You, you are his poema. There's, there, if you, listen, stop trying to pump yourself up. God already has. You don't need to pump yourself up. You don't need to make it sound like, oh, I'm so great. You are so great because God made you. You are so great because of the author. When someone's like, whoa, that was a Michelangelo. That was Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, you're a Yahweh creation. Have you seen the Sistine Chapel? Have you seen me? <laughs> I'm saying that's what you could say to somebody. You could say, Well, what do you think you're so great? Listen, without him, we're nothing. But he, we've got him, you're his poema. Someone's like, "Well, you're nothing." The Bible says, "Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought, and don't think more lowly than you ought." What that means is, realize what poem you are, realize what kind of a workman you are, realize what shot you're supposed to take, and go take that. We are His workmanship. Here's interesting: created for in Christ Jesus for good works. I, I, I do want to get clear. You will never feel right until you're doing what God has called you to do. You're always going. Mm, mm, mm. Ah, some of you college students, like, you're, you're in a major. Some people are in a major, like, oh, oh, no, why? And I'm almost done, you know? Some of you are in a career. You're like, hmm it's been 24 years. I still hate it. I was thinking it was going to catch on eventually. I was really hoping it would just get better. But, but I hear this all the time. But the money's so good. Good enough to keep taking the wrong shot. Good enough to live the life that's not yours. Good enough to live on land when you were created to fly. Oh, church, could you imagine what would happen if, if we became a faith family, a, a church full of people, like, discerning? That, see, if you will discern who you are, instead of being distracted by who you're not, you could focus in a way that's going to bear incredible fruit in your life. And I'm telling you, that fruit comes with joy. We were created for good works. I was reading a book by a guy that... by by this, this author, and he was part of the Quaker church. And the Quakers have something called a clearness committee. And so what they will do often when they're trying to figure out their calling in life is they'll call together what they call a clearness committee. Now, it's something at best, it probably gets somewhat prophetic, where people that love you come and they pray for you, and they get words from God for you. And so... Anyway, God just kept on blessing him. He's a very gifted writer, gifted author and thinker. And God kept on moving him up and advancing him in different ways. And as such, uh, he kept on getting more and more opportunities, one of which was to become a president of a university. And so he was going to go say yes to becoming president of the university. And he, but, but he kept on having all this <coughs> angst inside or whatever. But he, was all, he basically was 99% saying yes. So he calls together his little Quaker clearness committee. And they get gather together and they asked him. They said, hey, brother... Why do you want to be, now part of the Clearness Committee is they don't give you any statements. They only ask you questions. They just ask questions. He said, why do you want to be the president? He said, well, I'll tell you what I would not like. I would not like not being able to teach anymore. And I would not like having to go fundraise. And I would not like having other people, you know, control my schedule. And I would not, and, and, and he said about five or six of these I would not like. And one of them said, hey, I just want to make sure you heard the question What would you like about being like why do you want to be president? And then he started a little further and he said, Well, what I would not like, they said, no, no. Why why would you want to be there? You've told us like 10 reasons why you would not want to be president. Why would you want to be president? And then he looks at them and he had it. He said, I had a little smile on my face. I said, Well, I suppose I would like to see my name in the newspaper with the word president after it. And they all looked at him, he said, with a piercing Conviction that let him know his soul was in more danger than he realized. And then one of the Quakers asked another question Could we find another way to get your name in the paper? (laughs) If that's what you need, could we just find some other way? And he rerouted because he realized wait a minute, I wasn't created for those works. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but I want to give you permission to pursue the good work and works that God has created you. Fulfill the call of God on your life. There are no small calls. There's not stage cool calls and down in the chair, you know, backstage. Every call from God is beautiful because of the author who's writing it. And you are God's. Workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, Without a prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Very interesting. Without a prophetic vision, it is my opinion that you want to know the prophetic vision on your life. Proverbs 29, 18. Without a prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. You you might have some older versions say, Without a vision, the people perish. The the Hebrew word there is without a prophetic vision, meaning prophetic direction from God, people cast off restraint. It's the same word that got used in the episode where Moses was up on the mountain getting the law from God, and Aaron was down, and he forges a golden calf. I'm not sure if you remember the story. for And they're all worshiping God. And, and when they did, the Bible says that when they he, he, he claimed he just threw gold into the gold into the fire and out popped a golden calf. What a miracle. How'd that happen? And the people, it says in Hebrew, cast off restraints and began to go nuts. When you don't have prophetic vision, you treat your life like the Israelites treated God at the bottom of Mount Sinai when they cast off restraint. You need to know what God has called you to do because when you are tempted to go astray, your call, your purpose, your poem, your shot is too quick. I got to take my shot. I got to live my life. I got to spread my wings. I got to be who I am because I'm in the made in the image of the God who says, I am who I am, and you are who you are, and it is glorious. Live your life, fulfill your call because you are created in God's image. You are his workmanship, created for good works. And here's the predestination, which God prepared beforehand. Which God prepared? Now, I've read this to some people that are like, "Mm, this freaks me out. Wait a minute, I get so nervous or I get stressed or I get triggered when I think about God prepared. Guys, let me just tell you, there is such a thing as predestination. Yes, there is. And I know Americans hate it because we believe so much in our freedom. We're like, I believe in my freedom. Friends, you are free. God has made you with a free will. I'm not denying that at all. You absolutely have a free will. So does God. So does God. That's what I need you knowing. You are free. You are free. I want to say it again. You are free. But he is sovereign. And it's a law of freedom. A sovereign always has more freedom than those that are not sovereign. Okay? Just basic theology right now. What I'm letting you know is this is not... If you think predestination is bad news, you haven't yet meditated on it deeply enough because some of the best news you could ever have is predestination. What this means is that when I read this to people, and I read this to myself, and I get freaked out to say, uh-oh, like a roommate in, in college, my roommate in Sled Hall, he would always hit the snooze button. And he slept through so many exams, failed. It was like failing out of UF because he would not get up. I would try to get him up. He'd get up. He'd go right back to bed. Okay? Would not get up. A lot of us feel like, wait, oh, no, God prepared all these good works, and I miss it. God has plans for me, and I miss it. God has a vision, and I can't hear him very well. Like, I don't hear God's voice well. I don't know what I'm doing. I pray, God, what do you want me to do? And I hear crickets. I try to figure out where to go. I don't know what to do. I hear people say they know exactly what God, they know what chicken to buy at, you know, Fresh Kitchen at lunch today. And I don't, I'm don't. i like, oh, if I, if I, I can't hear God, I'm, I miss God. And, and we're so afraid that we're so incompetent that, oh, Oh, now there's even more pressure. God, told, It's kind of like a bump, and a, God set me up, and I'm always missing the spike. God passed me the ball, I'm always missing my shot. If you think that you're going to... I want to say, let me give you some great news. You are not strong enough to miss God's will for your life. You're just not. What it, here's, the, here's the wonderful news on this. He prepared these things beforehand. He knows how hard it is for you to hear him. He knows how indecisive you can be. He knows how distracted you are. He knows if you're metal rebar or a piece of wood. He knows if you're a stone or a brick. He knows what constitution you are. He knows your potentials and your limits. And he made his plans with your strengths and weaknesses in mind. He knew what he was getting himself into when he chose to redeem you. He already knew. Which means, if you're like, oh, no, I could miss it. No, this is letting you know. Wait, he prepared this beforehand. If you're like, oh, I've wasted the last 52 years of my life. Don't you get it? In advance, he already, it's not like when you, I hear people say all the time, I'm on plan B now. I'm on plan C. Friends, God didn't have this plan A for you. And you're like, oh, I so blew this. Mike, if you knew. Listen, I'm not saying, do there is something good about godly regret. There is something good about recognizing, man, I wasted those five years of my life. Oh my gosh, that night, was a, that was a big mistake. Oh my gosh, I should not have done this. There, that is called godly sorrow, which leads to repentance. That is a very good thing to do. What I'm letting you know is, just as much respect as you have for your sin and your mistakes and your ability to blow it, can you not have more respect and honor and reverence for God's ability to redeem it? He's a redeemer. That's what he does. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand. That's why when you're reading Ephesians, even leading up to this, Ephesians 1.4 says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Verse 11 says, in him we've obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Even your mistakes, even your limits, even your failures. Friends, this is a great day to say, Jesus, for all my sins, I repent. For all my wasted years, I regret. But you know what? I stand up, I embrace your grace, I say yes to you, and I realize I am who you have called me to be, your poema, I am your creation, I am your handiwork, I am your masterpiece, your hand is on me, and I want to live in light of the call of God that's on my life. So, Mike, what do we do with this sermon? Here's what I want you to do. I want you, with this sermon, I want you to discern your divine design and focus your life. If you did the Warren Buffett experiment and you wrote out, how how do you choose 25 goals and how do you choose five? You choose your top five goals in the light of your divine design. If you're Steph Curry, it means I'm going to go take three-point shots. If Shaquille O'Neal based his career on taking three-point shots, he's like maybe the greatest big man there ever was, but he only takes, you know, three-inch shots. He doesn't take three-point shots. Couldn't even make a free throw. Shaquille O'Neal's in the Hall of Fame not because of his three-point shot, but because he took his shot. He he decided to discern who he was instead of being distracted by who he was not. Imagine if Shaquille O'Neal was trying to replicate Steph Curry's game. That's what it looks like when you're trying to replicate someone else's. I want you to discern your divine design. I'm about to put a, a, a QR code, don't put it up there. I'm about to put a QR code. These are questions that I would suggest you take a picture of this QR code and then you go and take some time alone where you work on these questions. And, and you kind of see what happens with this, okay? These are questions that if, if I was sitting down with you, I would say, if you said, Mike, I want to know my divine design, what would you do? So give me that thing. Go ahead and put it up there. You could take out your camera. You could put this QR code right there. So let me get this QR code. There we go. I open this thing. This is a basic Google Doc that is right there for you. I think it is, all right? All right, so I'm going to pull this open, and I'm going to... I'm going to add. These are questions that I would ask you. If you've got it right there online, I'm hoping you got. It. These are the questions I would ask you. If you can't get it, I'll just. You, you can write them down if you want. I would ask you. Number one, what? what what's your passion? Like, what, what are your passions? What bothers you? Is it children? Is it education? Is it poverty? Is it? Is it the squandered uh, passion of men? That is it. Men? Is it women? Is it old people? Is it young people? Is it diverse peoples? Is it your people? Is it? Is it law? Is it justice? Is it righteousness? Is it wholeness? Is it, like, like what, what bothers you? We have some people in our church, what bothers them is porn as the new drug. Like, oh, I'm, I'm bothered by this. Some people are bothered by misuses of, of power and, and power authority. What is it that bothers you? Where do you feel a sense of holy discontent? What, what do you deeply value? That's kind of question one, Question number two. Direction. What words of direction have you heard from God? What prophetic words have you gotten that you think are from God? Number three, what's your personality? What's your Enneagram? I mean, Enneagram is a good, you know, not perfect, but it's a good tool to be able to kind of know what you're, what you're there's a, a list of the different Enneagram types. There's a, we put a link to a free test on there, you know. If you're an Enneagram 2, you're going to be different than an Enneagram 9. You know, if you're a, a peacemaker, it's probably going to be a little different than a challenger, which is a little different than an achiever, which is a little different than all these other gifts, all the, you know, the, the, the different Ways that God has wired us to be. There's also Myers Briggs' assessment. So I would ask you, hey, what's your personality? Professionally, there's a, I very much like, this is not the Bible, but I like Strengths Finders. Interestingly, I will tell you, Strengths Finders, the guy that invented Strengths Finders did brain science to help design this. And part of the brain science he figured out was that the human brain, it's, it's almost like the human brain has like four lanes until you get into like your 40s. And when you get to your 40s, it kind of goes from four lanes into three lanes. In other words, the human brain, physiologically, God has wired us to start focusing with age. As you accumulate experiences, you start to figure out, I'm not supposed to do those things. I'm going to focus on who God's made me to be, not on who he's made me not to be. Brain science confirms what the Bible also says. Strength finders is good like that. In the church, 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, there's um, different lists of spiritual gifts. I would ask you, what are your spiritual gifts? I believe all of you have some of those gifts. And then the apex wiring, number six, uh, Ephesians 4 has a list of five. uh, I would call them like sort of callings, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. Every one of you in this room, I believe, is one or more of those, and you have one or more of the other spiritual gifts, and you've got different personality types. This could help you discern your divine design, and what I would suggest you do is to go take some alone time and you pray this through with God, I would also challenge you to maybe go with a little clearness committee, get some people that love you, maybe leaders or others in your life, microchurch people, something like that, and say, hey, would you guys help me to discern who God made me to be and stop being distracted with who I'm not? I hope that helps you. Let me, let me bring it to a close. My son is studying like... Um, construction. And so he'll tell me about concrete. So you go and you'll, you'll see a bridge and a bridge will have all this concrete that's making it up. And concrete is very, very strong. The problem with concrete is that it cracks and it's brittle. And so when you're looking at a bridge, if you've ever seen a bridge break, it's because the workmanship was bad. And I, I just want to say it again, God doesn't make junk. Sometimes his poems try to take the wrong shot. Sometimes his poems try to live up to some other life other than their own. But God does not make junk. Like, God has, he has not made a mistake with you. So I'm, I'm looking at these bridges, and, and when you're hearing how this kind of goes down in, in ancient Rome, they did different things architecturally to be able to mitigate against the fact that, you know, like concrete or, or rock and things like that can, can be fragile and they can crack. So what, what they do is they, they reinforce concrete with steel where there's metal rebar. So when you're seeing a bridge, when I'm looking at the bridge, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, to get across this bridge, this bridge, if this is depending on on my ability to never crack, I I don't think that's gonna be able to happen. I, I think I'm gonna crack, to which the reality about that bridge, the bridge isn't staying intact because the concrete never cracks. The bridge is staying intact because of something invisible that's inside of it that you cannot see. It's this metal rebar. And when you get to the end of this passage, where Paul is saying, you're his workmanship, the very next verse, when he says, you're his workmanship, he says, therefore, remember. Here's Paul's application to this whole message. Therefore, remember. Remember what, Paul? Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision... Remember, he says it again, second time, remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of Israel and strangers to the, to the promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you are brought near by the blood. So here's what happens. Jeremiah says, you go down there and there's this, this pot and it's not working right. And so it says the potter... The potter takes the clay, puts it in his hands, and even if it was broken, and even if it was jacked up, and even if it got messed up, the potter has the ability to go and to rework this pot into something amazing. Because the greatness of the pot does not depend on the pot. It depends on the potter. And the strength of the bridge does not depend on the concrete. It ultimately relies on something inside of the concrete that's holding this thing together. And you and me can testify, left to ourselves, there's some circumstances in which we can stand the test. But aren't all of us going to find times and places where we need something inside of us? And what the scripture makes clear is what you need is not just to have Jesus in you. You need to be in him. And when, G, when you come to Jesus, when you realize that all we, like pots, have been broken, all we, like sheep, have gone astray, all we, like that clay, has gotten formed into the wrong thing. And what he says, what he says is if you will put yourself in the hands of the potter again, the potter knows how to put us on his wheel and to spin us into something that doesn't just have function, but beauty. And if you're here and, and you, you don't have confidence that God can do that, I, I promise you he can. If you'll put yourself in his hands... How do I know? I I know because the only thing that can separate you from him is sin. Which is why Jesus goes to the cross. And he completely deals with la única cosa. The only thing that can separate you from him. And he deals with it completely. Wipes away our sins. Gets buried in the grave and rises from the dead. Showing us this path of new life. And there's some of you that today, I really want you just to... I want you to give up, like, going to the carnival, and and you're like, no, I'm going to learn to make this shot. It's rigged. Some of you that are living the wrong life, it's rigged. It's never going to work. Take your shot. But it all starts when you realize that it's in Christ Jesus that we come fully alive. And outside of him, we never quite get it because... We 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 really can't even bear to look at ourselves honestly because we wonder if we wonder if we've got what it takes. We wonder if we have worth. We wonder if we've got dignity, and there's just nothing like the cross where God Himself, the King of Glory, comes down and takes our place on a cross. There is nothing that so dignifies a human like the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And now you can look yourself in the mirror and realize I'm the poem of God. And whether it takes me five more minutes or five more decades to figure this out, the good work that Jesus began in me, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. The good work that he started in me, he's gonna finish this race with me. That's what he's gonna, I feel like I'm cracking and I feel like I'm gonna lose it all. There's a rebar inside of me that says, I've got you. I I am with you, I am with you, I have redeemed you. You are mine.